This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. I am your host, Trevor Williams. And today on episode 128... We are interviewing a fellow podcaster in the agriculture and ranching space. His name is Jared Lumen, and he has got a ranch, a beef cattle ranch specifically. Um, his day job, he actually goes around and teaches ranchers and farmers about soil health. But his podcast, which we're going to learn more about today, is called the Herd Quitter Podcast. And on that show, Jared interviews ranchers from all across the country, even parts of Australia, so basically all across the world. And it's all about learning from ranchers that are doing things differently. And they are both enjoying their work and they're helping their ranch become more and more profitable. Which, you know, farming is not some get-rich-quick scheme. I mean, um, it's not something you're going to get wealthy off of by any means. And ranching, especially, is something that's like a 24-7 job where you've got hundreds, sometimes thousands of head of cattle you've got to keep an eye on. And there's so many factors that go into it. And so Jared started this show because he really wanted to learn about all the ranchers out there that are doing things differently, that are really thinking for themselves. And the name of the podcast, Herd Quitter, actually has a really cool meaning to it that Jared will talk about. And how kind of every herd, every cattle herd, kind of has that one cow that's very stubborn and kind of does things on their own. That is what he's calling these ranchers that are thinking for themselves and they're doing things a little bit out of the box. Um, he shared one story, which I thought was super fascinating, about one ranching family that had a bunch of sons and the dad was like, hey, if you guys want to come back and work on a farm, you've got to help us diversify. And so one son started a brewery, another son started a, started a hunting lodge, which is so cool. And there's a bunch of other things that they did on that property. Um, and Jared will talk about that. And so, yeah, if you haven't, you need to go check out his podcast. Again, it's just called Herd Quitter Podcast, and it's on Apple, it's on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. 
And if you're a rancher, you will definitely learn a thing or two about what people are doing in the ranching industry to, you know, not only improve their work-life balance and enjoy what they're doing, but also being profitable. And they cover a bunch of stuff like cattle ranching in Australia, how you can pivot your operation, and that's okay. And also switching from cattle to raising bison. I mean, you would think that would be an easy switch, but it seems like it is not. And one quote that Jared shared in the episode, which I thought was really cool, was that you have to have true intentionality about every decision you make about your business. And I thought that was awesome. And I mean, that's something that I try to do even just with Farm Traveler. And so that's great advice. So um, again, this is episode 128 with Jared Lumen from the Herd Quitter podcast. I hope you enjoy it. I really, really did. And I'm going to dive into a bunch of his episodes very soon. So enjoy it, and thank you so much for listening. All right, well, Jared Lumen, welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast, man. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you so much. Yeah, happy to be here. Dude, yeah, I'm excited to chat with you. You're a fellow podcaster. You've got a cool Mm -hmm. podcast called The Herd Quitter. Um, so I always like to geek out with fellow like ag podcasters <laughs> and stuff to, I mean, yeah. to figure out what your, what your niche is, how your podcasting journey is and all that stuff. So, yeah. uh, before we kind of dive in about your podcast, kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of your background. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I would love to. It's, it is fun to, to talk to other podcasters. I I've had conversations with people and stuff on the side, just of like, yeah, the, the nitty gritties and things of how they're doing what they're doing. So I'm excited to get into that. But, um, my my background. So I grew up right here. This, the house I live in is my, was my grandfather's house. And our family has been here on this land for, for quite a while. Um, the farm we're on, we got in the 1960s and our family has been farming on this street, uh, for over a century. So I've been in farming. My family's been in farming and agriculture for quite a while. Um, we weren't always kind of doing what we're doing now. I would say my grandfather, was a fairly progressive kind of a conventional commodity-based farmer. He was farming like a thousand acres, 140 beef cows, milking nearly 200 cows and a couple hundred sheep back in like the seventies, which was wild for its time, like oh, very wow. progressive and, and big. And and we had a, a foreign exchange student who actually came to our farm back then in, in the late eighties, I want to say, or something like that, uh, the mid, mid eighties, who was at our place and just flat out told my dad and my grandpa, uh, you guys are doing this all wrong. Like, why, why are you working so hard? You you should, you know, you're 15 years behind us over in New Zealand. Um, and so my grandpa, you know, could have easily taken offense to that, but instead of taking offense, he actually sent my dad kind of encouraged my dad to go over to New Zealand and learn what he was talking about. So my dad went over to New Zealand, worked on a grazing based dairy and another grazing based beef and, and sheep station. And that's kind of changed the trajectory of our family farm for, for many, you know, for decades now. And he came back home and started a grazing based farm. And, and, and today, now that I could spare you all the, the details of the 30 year transition to where we are now, but now, uh, we're farming, uh, primarily pasture based operation. We raise red registered red Angus beef cattle. Uh, we, we okay. sell seed stock or bulls through Farrow cattle company. My wife and I, own a, uh, the grass-fed cattle company, which is kind of our direct marketing enterprise for our farm. And we market pastured chicken that we raise on our farm and grass-fed beef and then pastured pork we get from another farm. Um, and that's kind of 
what my wife and I have been doing to kind of add on enterprises to our farm and, and add profitability and also to, you know, really, it's just a lot of fun to be able to connect with consumers. It's gosh, some of the, the relationships we've developed with our consumers has been a blast. So, um, yeah, that's fun. And then in addition to the farm, which keeps me pretty busy, I also work for the Sustainable Farming Association of Minnesota as their soil health lead. So I do a lot of consulting and networking uh, with farmers all across the state of Minnesota to help educate uh, farmers on soil health and, and how they can use and implement soil health principles within their own context and on their farms. And then, uh, yeah, I think that's most of it. Our farm, our marketing enterprise, the podcast, and, and the soil health or the, the soil health lead for the <laughs> Sustainable Farming Association. So a little bit going on, it sounds like just a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah we stay busy, but <laughs> it's all, it's all, you know, the, the cool thing about it is that I love everything I do. And there's a lot of truth to the statement. I mean, it's cliche, but if you work, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. And so I definitely stay busy, but if I enjoy every bit of it, then it's, it's pretty fun. Well, that's good. And kind of going back to that soil health, I mean, if you're, yeah. I feel like if you're um, doing like rotational grazing and just grass fed beef, I mean, your soil mm -hmm. health is going to be like the most important thing you've got to pay attention to, right? Yeah. And that's a big reason why we kind of have been transitioning to the grass based agriculture. Um, I, there, in that long history of our farm, my dad went home. I'll, I'll kind of briefly summarize it. My dad started a farm of his own uh, doing a grazing dairy. And then in early 2000, when my grandpa was ready to back out of the home farm, we came to where we are now on the home farm and he stopped doing the grazing dairy. We still had beef cattle, but we started organic crop farming. And over 20 years of doing that, our, our family, of you know, my dad taught my grandpa or my grandpa taught my dad. My dad taught me always, we want to leave the land in better condition than we found it. And with all of the tillage that was required to manage weeds in that organic cropping system, we didn't feel that we were advancing our soil health in the direction that we wanted to go. And so that's, you know, really in the last five years we've started. And in the last two to three years, we've really started to accelerate this transition to a hundred percent perennial pasture based farm. Um, for that reason that you just mentioned of, you know, wanting to improve, improve our soil health. And we've, while well, we've been doing it for many decades anyway, it's been kind of on the side, like on the grazing acres, not so much on the tillable acres, but we've seen the benefits of it. I mean, just production increases, erosion decreases, you know, just soil seems healthier, more green, lush plants, more everything. And, and we wanted to continue to grow that across our farm. And so, yeah, we've made this transition now to where with the exception of one farm that's down the road that we haven't figured out how to get cattle there. Uh, we, we rent it and we're not sure about installing the infrastructure to make it grazing. But the exception of that now, the whole farm is perennial pasture and, and we're really excited about it and what it can do. It's, it's a lot of fun to it. It definitely, <laughs> I, I always joke, it's kind of odd. I grew up wanting to be a crop farmer. I loved sitting in a tractor. Okay. <laughs> and when I was in high school, <laughs> it was probably easier because when something broke down, I'd just be like, hey, dad, you know, I'm going to head out with the friends. You fix this. Let me know when you want me to sit in the tractor again. But when I got home to farm full time, <laughs> then when something broke, it was no longer I'd call up dad and he would be like, well, fix it. <laughs> You're working for the farm, so fix it. And all of a sudden, uh, cattle seemed a little more appealing to me. And that, along with other reasons, we really do enjoy grazing and, and, and livestock. And so it more aligned with all of our goals. 
That's awesome. And, and so kind of, I guess this kind of involves your podcast a little bit, but kind of that enjoyment. I mean, hmm. with your podcast, Herd Quitter, you, you're kind of talking with ranchers um, that are, they're doing a really good job, it seems like, of being both profitable and enjoyment, like enjoying what they're doing. And so yeah. how hard is that? I mean, from, from your perspective, how hard is it to not only like turn a profit with your business, but mm -hmm. also to enjoy it where you don't get burnt out? So how hard is that? Yeah, no, that's, that's a good question. It is a challenge. Um, you know, it's interesting because as we made this transition to more grazing, the, the problem that we saw was not that the, the income wasn't there to sustain both my dad and myself on our farm. The problem was there all of a sudden there wasn't enough labor or there wasn't enough work for the labor we had. <laughs> we, mm -hmm. we had kind of, I, I like to joke that Kit Farrow got me fired kind of in this philosophy of low input ranching. All of a sudden, all of a sudden I wasn't necessary anymore. So it increased our lifestyle to the point where we really, it didn't really make sense for me to be around here because the life, you know, there, was, there wasn't enough work. And that's kind of what led me off to do some of these other mm -hmm. things. You know, the job and the podcast uh, came, have come since that transition. Um, but it can be a challenge to, to do so many things. And, and I would say that it's, it's a challenge that I fight with today yet is that I have this desire to always do more and, and, and do more that I enjoy. Um, but especially since the uh, birth of our, our baby boy Colton back in June, I'm realizing that there's more to life than work and, and, and that the work side of, you know, this maybe isn't the most sustainable long-term and that, uh, you need to, a limit, I guess. I need to learn to say no better. So you're right. It, it's a real challenge. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I mean, not only you got the business, you got the job, the day job, the podcast, also a dad. So mm. that, that's mm -hmm. that's probably a little bit hectic. I can imagine juggling all that stuff. Yeah, some days get wild, but I've got an <laughs> amazing supportive wife who's an amazing mother and and partner in all of these things as well. Uh, with the exception of the podcast, she helps on the farm. She helps in our, she's very uh, vital in our marketing enterprise. And so definitely not a, a solo act here. Oh, I believe you. Yeah. And I mean, kind of relating to the whole podcast thing. I mean, I think it is definitely a struggle, like turning a profit and also enjoying it. Like I started this podcast thing, I think like I was telling you earlier, like two and a half years ago. Mm -hmm. And I think after two and a half years, we're like $25 profit this month so far like or no of the year which, which isn't bad and so yeah. we're getting there and i'm also like enjoying it but i mean sometimes you get burnt out you like compare yourself mm -hmm. to other podcasts out there and so sure yeah. i think you just gotta focus on like being better than you were last month and just kind of enjoying it so but i mean yeah. but i mean again that this is just like a small small hobby i guess so there's not as much pressure yeah and with the podcast i don't know how you you know how you started but i started thinking this may or may never be profitable. I don't know. But I saw it almost the biggest part of it was like, hey, this is a great excuse to call a lot of people that would have thought it was weird if I called them otherwise. You know, <laughs> if I call up some of my guests <laughs> yeah. out of the blue and said, hey, can I ask you some questions? They'd be like, what? Who are you? Why? No, why? <laughs> Instead, I say, hey, I've got this podcast. I'd love to interview you. And they're like, oh, sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to do it. So it's an excuse to get to meet people and build a network that I wouldn't have otherwise had, whether it was profitable or not. It was a heck of a lot better, more affordable education than I ever could have gotten you know, through university and, and other things. So, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, because, yeah, it is weird if you call them out of the blue and they're like, first off, who are you? Why should I talk to you? And you're like, hey, I've got a podcast like I, yes. as well as my listeners, want to learn from you. So let's exactly. chat a little bit. So that's such a yeah. good point. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, I figure that, you know, for for them, it's like, 
yeah, they get to share whatever they're doing. And it's probably a little bit, I mean, like when you reached out and stuff, it's like, yeah, I'd be honored to talk about what I've learned, whether I have anything to share really or not, you know I mean? So yeah, it definitely makes a little bit easier the approach to some of these pretty incredible people who have some pretty incredible stories. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So going off of that, your podcast, Herd Quitter, um, yeah. your tagline is awesome. It's about farmers and ranchers that do things differently, like that are going outside the norm, trying to turn a profit, trying to be different. And mm -hmm. so what, I mean, what have been the biggest takeaways so far from doing your podcast? Like what have been the biggest lessons you've learned? And I mean, yeah. I know there's a bunch. Um, so what, are, what have kind of been the biggest takeaways for you? Yeah. Yeah. So like you kind of mentioned the name, the Herd Quitter podcast and, and that phrase, it wasn't my own. It came from Kit Farrow, uh, who we raise bulls for and stuff and like, and I talked to him and, and the idea of this herd quitter for those of your listeners who have cattle is we probably all they've probably all moved this group of cows and there's the one cow that's fighting her way back you know trying to go the other direction and just drives you nuts um but she's she's that herd quitter cow and, and at first at first glance you think that's pretty just an annoying animal you really don't want her there but if you really think about it <laughs> of this herd of whatever 200 cows 500 cows whatever it is that is the only cow who's thinking for themselves and like truly thinking mm -hmm. for themselves and doing their own thing. And you got to respect that, really. I mean, that's that's pretty neat. And so that was my goal out of this is just to interview people who are not afraid to be like that cow and think for themselves, even if the people pushing them in the other direction don't like it, even if all the cows are pushing by or, you know, pushing her the other direction, you know, they're thinking for themselves. And so your question of like, what have I learned? It's been really like just thinking of all the interviews kind of a common thread that i would say with everyone is like true intentionality with every decision they make i would say is probably one of the bigger ones like they're not they're running their business they're not letting their business run them they're not just doing what they've always done because they've always done it they're intentional mm -hmm. about every decision does does and they question things they look at what their dad and grandfather did and say, does this make sense? Look at, let's look at current market conditions. Look, look, let's look at our context. What are our resources? What are our advantages and disadvantages? And does doing that make sense here? Not because the neighbor does it or my grandfather did it, but does it make t sense today? And a lot of them maybe found that certain things didn't make sense. And then the thing that kind of goes along with that intentionality is then the ability to act, <laughs> you know, the ability to to do something different, to seek out something different. And, you know, I'd say so it's kind of an overarching theme mindset. I mean, it, it's all about very little of it has to do with what we're doing day in and day out. It's it's the the mental battle to be willing to think differently and then act differently if you find that maybe what you had been doing doesn't make sense. Mm, yeah. So I've heard from a lot of like old, old school farmers that, I mean, quote unquote, they do it j just because this is kind of the way it's always been done. So do you mm -hmm. think that's kind of like an old school rationality there? Yeah. Uh, you know, and it, it's so circum, you know, every, every farm probably does things for their own reason. So I never like don't want to paint with a broad brush and say everybody does it for one reason. But I do think there is, you know, there's definitely something to tradition and doing you know, what we've always, what we've always done and maybe not even doing it intentionally because that's what they've always done, but just not even recognizing that there's a different way to do it. Um, mm. I mean, I think a lot of us in, this is like a credit to the industry are incredibly hard workers and they spend a lot of time working in the business day in and day out. 
and so they never have the time to think to work on the business. I think this is that's kind of the work Watby versus Whitby, like working in the business versus working on the business, kind of goes to the ranching for profit. I think is kind of who came up with that. But um, if you don't have time to really think about it at all, because you're spending all your time doing your job, your, your the daily jobs and stuff, you'll never be able to make a change. And so. You know, I can't say if the true source or the root cause of, of not changing is because it's just like a desire to do what we've always done or just like a lack of time to think differently or something. But, uh, you know, that's that's a good question, because if we could figure out what the the, the challenge is, the, the reason why people will never change or won't change, people don't change, you know, we could address it and, and make some pretty big changes pretty quick. But the the egg industry, they say changes one funeral at a time, which is kind of maybe the a, a little bit of a sad statement and stuff is that a lot of times it takes a generation the ne- you know passing to let the next generation have the ability to start doing things differently. I haven't heard that but that does make a lot of sense I quote. Um yeah, you, I mean you brought up something like ranching is such a 24/7 job. I mean, if mm-hmm. you find out that there is a different way of doing it, I mean, that's going to be stressful and that's going to take you so much time to implement those changes, I'm sure. And so mm-hmm. I mean, that's, I mean, like you said, it's probably a reason why a lot of people didn't change. Like it was just so much that they had to do to get to that step. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of the things that that we talk about, that the guests that I've, I've had on talk about are, are ideas that just to a person who's done it one way or more of the conventional way their whole life and for generations seem ridiculous. I mean, for one, for example, is to calve in May and June. We'll just take that as an example. Uh, calving in May and June is what we recommend for multiple reasons. I mean, you're aligning your your calving season, which is the time when a cow needs the highest nutrient requirement with when the environment produces the most ava- the highest availability of high quality nutritious feed in spring. We have the spring flush of grass and abundance of grass when the cow needs it. It makes sense to me, but a lot of people's mindset is that uh, we're trying to sell pounds, total pounds of meat. And the earlier that I can have a calf, the longer that calf has to grow during the year, the more pounds I'll have to sell in the fall when we sell meat. Um, that So for them to think I'm going to move my calving back two, three, four months is mind blowing. I mean, it's just, it's just challenging. A lot of these things maybe aren't even infrastructure changes or, you know, work changes. It's, it's mental barriers to thinking, you know, okay, that maybe could make sense. Um, that's one example. There's so many that could make sense too. Like another example, people a lot of times will have their cattle and pastures spread all over, you know, the countryside, or if they've got, you know, say a thousand acres, they'll have them broken out into 150, 200 acre paddocks and have a group of cattle in each, each paddock. And they spend all day checking every group, checking every water. When in reality, they, they could just put them all in one group and move them daily. But the, the idea is if I had all these cattle in the group and I have to move, uh, I have to move cattle every day, that sounds ridiculous. Why would I move cattle every day? Instead, I'll, they just spend all day going and checking 10 different groups every day. And so not only then <laughs> does that benefit end up reducing workload by moving them in one group um, versus checking 10 groups, but there's tremendous land and soil and grass uh, production benefits that come along with moving cattle uh, more regularly. And so I do think you know, a big part of it is just that some of the, some of the practices that some of the folks that come on my podcast that I've talked to, it's just so contradictory or counterintuitive to the production model that they've been doing that it's almost the barrier is just, you know, mental. You know, we can't do that. That doesn't make any sense or it won't work here. Mm. 
That's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So talking about your guest, and it, it was funny. I had no clue you'd bring him up, but I actually listened to your episode with Kit Farrow talking about mm-hmm. build, building a network, kind of the importance mm-hmm. of that. And yeah. so, I mean, you, you've interviewed a bunch of people around the U.S., around Australia and stuff like that. So yeah. when you're talking to them, what are kind of some of the biggest struggles that all these ranchers are facing, whether it's environmental factors, mm-hmm. market factors, what have kind of been, I guess, the most common struggles that they've faced? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. It's probably <laughs> one that I, I need to focus more on. I'll be honest. And it's, it's probably to, you know, the, the wrong side of my, my podcast is that I focus on the, the things that they're doing well. And I need to focus more on their struggles. Cause that's where we all need to, we can learn from the most. Um, you know, it, it seems like the majority of the things that they're struggling with are, are, things that they were struggling with. I I keep going back to this mental challenge for the longest time. A lot of these folks will just have thought that something different wasn't possible. And they find out after practicing or trying a little thing that it was, but as far as challenges for the whole, you know, the whole industry that a lot of these guests faced at one point, probably a big one is the cost of production. I mean, in Mm -hmm. agriculture, I don't know if you've, like looked at the cost of a tractor recently or something or a combine. I mean, it's skyrocketed. It's wild. I mean, I was just watching a YouTube video the other day of a, and this is a grain farm. They had five S790 combines and the person was talking about the value of it. And I was just doing the math in that field. That farmer had three and a half million dollars tied up in just combines and corn heads alone (laughs) just in that, in that field. And that's, you know, the cost of production is, is wild. And so if you are in a business model, which the majority of agriculture and the majority of ranchers are in of a high input system, um, where you, your thought is based around selling as many pounds as possible. Um, the only way I can do that is by, you know, high inputs, high expenses, you know, that's a tough game to win because you're competing against people who have way more and can, can, can compete on scales of, you know, of efficiency that I can never dream of. You know, on my farm right now, we've got a little over 200 cows and there are people raising 20,000 cows, 10, you know, 2,000 cows. For me to compete with them, you know, to own the same equipment to feed my cows as them, it doesn't make sense. Um, I, I shouldn't try and compete with them on a cost of production battle and stuff. So that's kind of why a lot of my producer, the, the guests I have on are, are focusing more on low input, high profit as opposed to high mm-hmm. input, high production, which may or may not lead to profit. Um, so yeah, that's probably the biggest one. And, and this model that we face, that we're trying to implement and that most of my guests are trying to implement is mimicking nature, which Mm -hmm. is not, it's, it's dependent. I mean, really your only cost in mimicking nature then is your land cost and your labor cost. You don't have to worry about, you know, any other equipment and, and stuff. And so when we just get out of the the rat race of trying to compete with some of these other guys, kind of, an, I guess, another challenge you could say would be that kind of keeping up with the Joneses mindset, looking at the neighbors mm-hmm. and what they have and what they, they do and trying to compete. That's, that's not worth it. Like you had mentioned about podcasts too. I mean, same thing, looking at the next <laughs> person's podcast. I'll never be a Joe Rogan. I know that. I don't even know how many podcast listeners he's got, but uh, I don't even bother. It's not worth it. Yeah. Some of the millions. Yeah. Um, yeah so yeah. going, going back to um, your guests, so mm-hmm. getting off of their struggles, what have been like, what are some th- things that they're succeeding at? I mean, what are some things that have been like super remarkable to learn that they're doing, that they're doing differently, that have maybe mm-hmm. helped 
I don't know, maybe save their business. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, I mean, the, kind of the, and I don't know how it's specific you want me to get into the ranching, you know, kind of business and stuff. They're very simple changes that all stem back to a simple mindset change, first of all. But, um, you know, a big one calving window, like I said, I mean, the simple thing of, of changing their calving window back allows them to reduce their winter feed costs tremendously. Um, it also reduces their labor inputs. I mean, when you calve in January and February, first of all, you need to have building infrastructure, especially up here in the Midwest. I'm in Minnesota. Uh, you have to have infrastructure to keep them warm and to keep those calves warm. And, uh, and, and so that's expensive. Plus, uh, there's more calving troubles in barns and in winter and stuff than there is out in pasture when they can kind of calve naturally and everything. And so people check their cows for calving and their heifers for calves every couple hours. And that's labor intensive and stressful. When I came home to farm, we were actually calving in March. And I always joked, partially joking, mostly true, uh, that I would put on my winter weight all winter and I would lose about 15 pounds in about six days of calving season because it is so labor intensive <laughs> and hard work. Um, you know, so that's a, a big one. Um, another guest that, well, a couple of guests I've had on Wally Olson and Doug Ferguson have been, their topic, uh, has been really popular with a lot of my listeners of sell by marketing, which is kind of just a different view mm. on marketing. A lot of people in, in agriculture in the, in the feedlot business or in the cattle feeding business focus in on, uh, buying at a certain time at a certain weight and selling at a certain time at a certain weight. Everything is a very calendar based you know, strategy. It's very systematic and the same thing happens every time. And what they're doing is, is just kind of the opposite. They're saying, I'm not going to buy based on a certain desire. If everybody's buying on the same thing, that animal based on simple economics is going to be higher value, overvalued. When more people are interested in something at the same time, it becomes overvalued. And so what they're saying is they buy the undervalued animal that not as many people want, bring them to a, you know, cheaply on grass, bring them to a weight that they're all of a sudden overvalued and sell them. Doesn't matter if it's two weeks or two months later, and doesn't matter if it's January or March, they're, they're always trading cattle and, and just managing, buying the undervalued and selling the overvalued as opposed to just buying and selling based on a calendar and a, and a preconceived plan or existing strategy. And that, that philosophy, I'm, I'm pretty excited to go. I'm going to be going to one of the classes of, of these folks here in a, in a month or so to try and learn more about it because it, it really is um, pretty unique and innovative thinking in this. And it kind of goes, they both mm -hmm. learned it from Bud Williams is the kind of the originator of that idea. Um, but that, you know, that's a, another, another thing. And, and these things can also be applied to cow-calf production as well of, you know, with cows, uh, each cow has a depreciation schedule. They're worth more at certain times and certain ages than they are at other certain times at certain ages. And so being intentional, again, back to that intentionality about buying cows at certain times when they might be undervalued and selling them at certain times when they're overvalued before they begin to go down in value again. Um, there's, there's just, you know, I, I'm just fascinated when I talk to these people about how much they think about business in ways that I've never even thought about. It's like, I thought we we're just out here to <laughs> move cows and, and build fence. And they're like, no, no, no. You, you mean, that's the $15 an hour, $20 an hour jobs. The money is made in the desk at the desk thinking about what you're doing and being intentional. And just, I'm just blown away by the intentionality of some of these folks thinking, you know, it's, it's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I haven't heard of methods like that before, but I mean, it seems so different, but I feel like 
things like this might be the future where you've got to be intentional about when you're going to breed your cows, when they're going to give birth, when you're going to sell them, instead of just kind of like, like you said earlier, kind of going with the flow and just doing what is normal and what's expected, mm-hmm. really. I mean, yeah. so has a lot of that been successes of trial and error? Or have there been like, I don't know, some studies that people have been focusing on and kind of practicing those studies and going with them? Yeah, I mean, it's cool, because uh, I get to talk to some of these people that are kind of coming up with some of these ideas, like, Kit Farrell, for example, is kind of the original herd quitter as far as this whole cow-calf philosophy of low-input cows, smaller frame, moderate frame cows, and and we get to talk to him. And so there's some people who, like I get to talk to, who have suffered through the learning process, those early stages of mm, developing yeah. the the philosophies in the first place, and they probably had more failures than a lot of us latecomers who get to, you know, benefit from the many years of experience, trial and error uh, that that those folks had. So some of my guests are, are early, you know, kind of early adopters, and, and some of them are people like myself who listen to a podcast and, and think that's an awesome idea. I'm going to try it. And, and hopefully, you know, podcasts like mine can help them have some resources to try it in a way that won't be a total failure um, because they get to learn from somebody else's failures. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I feel like going back to the podcast thing, I feel like my biggest lessons that I've learned have been from my own failures and then kind of mm-hmm. learning from mm-hmm. people along the way. I mean, yeah. and even, so I taught high school ag for two years too. And yeah. I feel like some of the biggest lessons I had there were through my own failures and kind of learning them and fixing them. Mm-hmm. So And it kind of goes back to that like diagram you always see where it's like, oh, people think success is a straight line when in reality it's like all over the place. So you're failing, succeeding, failing, succeeding. And so you're never actually like improving unless you're trying and failing every now and then. So, yeah, but I feel like it's every industry or every discipline or every job. But I think it's always interesting to watch people do it um, in the farming and ranching industry because, I mean, they're failing. Their business is depending on it. And so hopefully those are going to be little failures along the way. Yeah. And and that's, that's a big, I think that's a big part you asked about like why some of these things don't necessarily happen more or something. And some of the challenges is there's like this business Mm -hmm. is very slim margin business and there may not be a lot of room for error and trial and error. Um, So yeah, that, that's a good point, but I don't know who says it or how even the quote goes or something. It's like, but yeah, if, if a person never fails, they, they're not someone to look up to. It means they haven't tried enough or something. You know, I don't, I don't know how it, yeah. paraphrasing or something like that. I, I don't look to the people who have never failed. That doesn't really say much to me. It just says they're really good at staying comfortable. <laughs> but, staying comfortable, being uncomfortable and being yeah. failing and all that. Yeah. No. I appreciate you being That's an awesome. egg teacher too. That My wife and I just got back from National FFA convention and yeah, oh, egg, egg programs were huge for us. So appreciate that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I had a blast. I only taught for two years in Daytona. And I mean, Mm. I was in an ag program in high school and I was a state officer down here in Florida. And so went to um, National Convention twice. Super fun. I was, I think, six rows away from Mike Rowe when he was giving like the um, he was speaking at National Convention. That was awesome. We all went nuts whenever Mike Rowe came out. (laughs) I I think I was probably at that convention, but I don't I don't think I got that close. (laughs) That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I yeah. don't know if he's been back. I hope he does. But I mean, I honestly can't tell you how many ag classrooms I've been in where the teacher's out and they're playing mm-hmm. dirty jobs. And it's mm-hmm. always like a good yep. educational episode. and Everybody <laughs> loves it. I mean, it's right. such, it's such a cool concept and everybody loves yeah. micro. Yeah, no doubt. 
No. <laughs> That's awesome. So, all right. So some of your other episodes have talked about like ranchers kind of diversifying their operation, whether mm-hmm. it's with mm-hmm. like agritourism or even like opening hunting leases on their ranches, yeah. which is such a good idea. And yeah. so what are some other, maybe some uncommon ways farmers are kind of diversifying? Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a good question. This is one of my favorite interviews was Jerry Doan. And I don't know if you've listened to that one or not, uh, in North Dakota, mm-hmm. his family, like right. he had three sons, I think that came home and this was one of my early ones. So I'm going to be, I may or may not be wrong on some of this, but he said, you know, each of them come up with something, bring some value back to this because it bring some value value back to this ranch because there may may or may not be room for you otherwise and stuff. And so um, (laughs) they, they came back and and he talked about how I think at first, the first son said, well, we've been giving away hunting in this ranch for years. Let's, let's, uh, let's start selling this, you know, make some money on this. And so they started just leasing it out. Well, then they said, you know, rather than leasing out, let's do a full like outfitting business. So they started doing that. And then they said, we've got all these houses that used to be employee housings, but nobody wants to live in rural country anymore. So they're just sitting empty. Let's turn these into like lodges and start leasing this out. And then another son came back and, and turned the barns into like an event center and another son made a brewery. And so they're just doing so much stuff. And now they're direct marketing meat. They're doing events. They're doing lodging and outfitting and and it's just like mind-blowing and i think that's so cool i you know and his kind of he was like come up with what your unfair advantage is that's what i've been trying to do here on our farm and he said you know we're we're our our context our resources we've got this vast amount of open prairie land that's great hunting ground we're 45 minutes from an airport and a big city you know this this is something that we can tap into and so they did and we're trying to figure out the same thing at our farm, you know, what can we use? But some other, to answer your question, cool diversifications that people have done that I've heard about is um, there's an individual in Northeast Minnesota that that uh, just does kind of lodging as well. They built a yurt actually at their place. Uh, shout out oh, to cool. Colbert okay. Farm. Yeah, they built a yurt uh, <laughs> and, and they have another house and uh, as well that they rent out and it's like, that's awesome. I mean, they have a beautiful area. They're in a very, like they recognize that they're up by Duluth and the North shore of Lake Superior, like a very tourist, popular tourist location. They said, why not take advantage of this? And so they did. I mean, know your area, know your, your, what, what can you take advantage of your, in your region and stuff? And um, I mean, what we're just lucky on this in agriculture, kind of a land-based industry to have unique things to be able to do with the resources. People can come up with creative ways to utilize the resources that, you know, a, a standard, you know, person who owns a downtown building may may never be able to do with their real estate resource. And so, you know, if we can think creatively, it's there's the, the opportunities out there are endless. And I'll have to think more intentionally on some of the, or think some more on what, uh, what some of the people have done on the guests, guests on the podcast, but that Jerry Doan one jumps out to me immediately because they took, they didn't, they weren't settled with one. They, they just kept on going. Oh, they hit the ground running. I mean, a brewery, a lodging, an outfitting thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's awesome. I mean, you, you don't hear about that many, um, mm-hmm. I guess, business ideas happening at a ranch. Usually it's like one or two, but I mean, that's awesome yeah. that they kind of hit the ground running there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like kind of a necessity too. I mean, how many, fortunately 
they were able to do that because a lot of ranches can't sustain three children coming back. <laughs> and that's a, that's a, oh, true. That's yeah. an awesome opportunity, but it's also a pretty big challenge to make a ranch that's mm-hmm. you know profitable enough to sustain three separate families. Plus the older generation, four separate families on one land base, they had to come up with something differently and prop to them for being able to. Yeah, that's not bad. And I've heard of so many, um, ranches going direct to consumers there's a ranch here that we've been that we've had on the show boyd farms fresh um Mm -hmm. in florida and they have been selling direct to farmers a lot more thanks to the pandemic and -hmm. it's great they Mm -hmm. go to all these farmers markets they sell their meat right out of a refrigerated truck and you can buy high quality meat usually some of the best cuts on a cow that you usually can't get for that sort of price i mean you go to like a Publix or a walmart or somewhere you can't get yeah. the kind of cuts that they have. And so it's cool that a lot of ranches have started selling more direct. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I mean, yeah, it, you kind of asked the question earlier about what are some of the challenges that some of these people are facing. And a big one is like the commodity market. I mean, we're competing mm-hmm. against people. I mean, the commodity market's goal is to buy product as cheap as possible. And generally the big operations can produce product cheaper than we can. And if we're trying to compete with them on a commodity market, at, you know, we, we really can't. And so to your point about this awesome, you know, thing that's happening in the last year, especially of more farmers doing direct marketing, that's incredible. I, I love, I love seeing that because it's, it's people finding a way to adapt and people thinking, you know, maybe this isn't a good long-term solution for me to continue to try and compete with these big operations on a commodity market. How can I adapt to that and still do what I love of raising livestock? And they're doing it by mm-hmm. going direct to the consumer. They're, they're selling more than just meat. They're selling their name. They're selling their relationship. They're selling their farm. Uh, that's, you know, what we do on our farm here. We encourage and invite people to come visit it and experience it as part of our kind of mission and goals of we want people to have a connection to their food that they would never get by shopping at Walmart. You know, and so I love that there are more people doing direct marketing. It's it's exciting to me and it should be exciting to the consumer because they get to experience food in a whole new way. Oh, yeah. I mean, you literally get to see like the people that are making your food, where it's grown. I mean, especially mm-hmm. if, if if they visit your farm, like you're talking about, like doing um, agro-tourism. I mean, I think that's so fun. Like you can literally go there and you can say, hey, that cow is going to be a steak that I'm going to eat in a couple of months. Like you can you, <laughs> yeah. you can connect them. And and I think that the closer the farmer and the consumer are, like the healthier both are going to be. I mean, you can take out that middleman. So it's going to be cheaper. It's going to be healthier for you. You're probably going to eat less processed stuff if you know where Mm -hmm. your farmer is and if you're like, you know, buying produce or something from like a farmer's market or something. I mean, yeah, yeah, I think it's a winning idea. So it's kind of been this, (laughs) I guess, a success thanks to the pandemic, like because there's been this necessity of like pitch of pivoting a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's Mm -hmm. been kind of like a win win for both. Yeah. Oh, totally. And, And I like you said, like, you could point out a cow and say, that'll be a steak. I'll share just a brief story that I once made the mistake of not knowing my audience (laughs) or my customer once. And there was an animal Uh that was just giving us trouble loading on a trailer for some reason, just, it happens every now and then nothing Mm -hmm. uncommon or whatever. And I made the comment to the person, uh, I said, Hey, yep. Your beef was dropped off at the butcher this morning. We barely got it on the trailer, but we got it on the trailer. And she's like, she knew, he knew or like that. She was just like, (laughs) and was like heartbroken that she thought the animal knew what was happening and where it was going. And I was like, Oh, I got to keep my mouth shut. So yeah, I I scared her a little bit, broke her heart, I think, but yeah. uh, Know your audience, know who's interested in knowing exactly what their steak will be. Cause some people don't want to look at that cute calf and know they'll be eating it next fall. 
<laughs> yeah, that's true. That's funny though. I mean, that's one of those things where you're like, oh, my bad, my bad. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <hilarious>. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No. That's mm-hmm. so funny. So, I know, I know something going on now is like this whole push for sustainability. So, mm-hmm. like sustainability, paying closer t- attention to our environment. So, have you learned a whole lot of what ranchers are trying to do? And I know like crop rotation and there's a bunch of stuff ranchers are, are, are doing to, t- to kind of address sustainability that normal like consumers don't know about. And so mm-hmm. what have you noticed, like kind of interviewing all these people, are, are there any very successful sustainability practices going on? Yeah. So I could list practices all day. Cause like there's so many ways that people are doing this. I'm not, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure if you're familiar with the soil health principles, if you've ever heard of those or, Mm-mm. Or not. Um, Gabe Brown is kind of an originator of this idea of the soil health principles. And I just was interviewing someone else earlier today for my podcast who rattled through them like a pro. And I told him whenever I try to rattle through them, I'll butcher it completely. (laughs) And I know I'll forget one, but I'll give it a shot. Um, The principles are diversify, you know, as much diversification as possible, diversification of plant species, animal species, wildlife species. Nature had diversity monocultures are not diversity. So increased diversity, that's the number one soil health principle. And in any order, these might be, uh, minimize disturbance, disturbance, both tillage chemically, you know, minimizing disturbance in, in, in any way that you can, um, because nature wasn't disturbed by a big plow regularly or, or chemical and stuff, uh, green and growing plant as much of the year as possible. This one's really cool because one of the, the best things that we can do for our soil is build carbon, build organic matter in the soil. Mm-hmm. And we build organic matter through photosynthesis. The more plants that are growing, the longer they're growing and photosynthesizing, they're pumping carbon into the soil. That's great. It's advantageous. You know, let's do as much of that as possible. So, so that's, that's one. Oh, now here's where I, I know the fifth one, livestock integration, <laughs> because when you look back at nature and stuff, bison, elk, mule deer, birds were an integral part of nature and wildlife. And so livestock integration is the other one. Um, and I knew the, the fourth one, I'm going to totally forget, which I knew I would and stuff. But these principles, uh, you, you kind of asked about print practices. Uh, you know, a practice like, for example, no-till may or may not work on one farm versus another. Um, but a principle like minimize disturbance, if that's the principle, you know, how we apply that in any farm can be different or integrate livestock can be different on every farm. And so all of these principles need to be applied within the context of an individual's farm, uh, if that makes sense. And these are kind of the things that I work with farmers when I, when I, uh, for my job for the soil health or the sustainable farming association that soil health lead is I go to farms and I say, here's these principles that are proven to improve soil. Um, Mm -hmm. let's figure out within your, your context on your farm and your given environment, how we can apply these principles as best as possible. Um, yeah. And, and I just looked up on my phone here (laughs) to see what the other principle was because it was bugging me and that's just keeping the soil covered. Um, whenever Mm -hmm. there's exposed soil, I mean, there's research out there that shows when soil temperatures hit like 100, 120 degrees or something, biology starts dying and, and it's dead. Soil biology likes temperatures like we do in the 70s and 80s and stuff. And so we need to keep our soil covered to protect it from the sun and the heat, as well as from wind erosion and rain erosion. It's pretty neat too. I have a little thermal thermometer kind of gun thing that they, you know, check your temperatures with and stuff. But uh, uh, if you do just point it at the soil surface when it's shaded by grass or something growing, you know, if the air temperature is 80 degrees, that soil temperature might be 70 degrees. But even if the air temperature is 80 degrees, exposed soil 
the soil temperature might be 110 degrees. It can be way hotter than air temperature. And so we, it's so important to keep soil covered. Those are the five soil health principles and how people are applying them all across the farm or, or across the country are different everywhere. You know, people are applying, you know, doing no-till, strip-till in wetter areas so that they can still do a little bit of tillage to dry out the soil. But they're, you know, using that uh, in, in agriculture and grazing, you know, rotational grazing as a way of keeping soil covered and keeping plants growing and integrating livestock. I mean, cover crops, there, there's a ton of different ways that we're practicing, the, implementing these principles. But those five principles applied within your context is the main way that we can build soil. And it is pretty cool to see some of the impacts. I mean, in our farm, in our farm and, and in our state here in Minnesota this year, we had one of the driest years since a lot of people talk about 1988, the drought of 1988. And mm. I was fortunate to be able to get out on farms all around the state and see people who are implementing certain principles that by no means made us, you know, immune to drought, but made resilience to drought. And, and we a lot of individuals fared better than their neighbors because of certain management practices that they've had. And it was really, you know, an awesome experience. I mean, it was depressing sometimes to see this drought impact people. I mean, it was pretty sad, but then to see at least that some people fared a little better than others by implementing different practices, it, it was really inspiring. I bet it was. And I think that point that livestock management is a part of the solution is really important that a lot of people aren't paying attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I saw a study a few years ago. I can't remember what it was, but I'll have to look it up. But basically, I think it was in the UK. Um, they compared grassland that was just grassland with grassland that had livestock on it. It was like rotationally mm-hmm. grazed. Sure. The livestock grassland captured countless, like so much more carbon than the regular yeah. grassland. And they're like, this is obvious. Like we need to kind of yeah. have livestock working in, um, in w- with the soil to help produce mm-hmm. um, or to help combat sustainability and stuff like that. But yeah. you have a lot of these people that are like anti-livestock and they say livestock is causing <laughs> it when they are yeah. literally part of the solution. I mean, mm-hmm. you look back, mm-hmm. like, I think like a hundred years there were what, like 3 billion bison in the United States or something like that. Uh, some and crazy number. Yeah. Were, yeah, they were never the cause of climate change. I mean, nobody ever yeah. said that. I mean, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I, I think to say that livestock needs to be stopped, which are what, like a lot of opponents are saying is absurd mm-hmm. because they are definitely part of the solution, which yeah. I think is very, very interesting. And I think more and more people need to realize. Exactly. I mean, you're so right. And I just kind of a neat thing that we've seen on our farm as we've slowly picked up, you know, another farm or something in 2014, we got an 80 acre farm down the road that was in CRP for 15 years, conservation reserve program. It sat idle in grass Mm. for 15 years, essentially, um, biologically dead. I mean, that soil was, there was nothing there. Grass would hardly grow. Once we'd gotten livestock on it, and, and started implementing some of these, you know, these, these, uh, practices and principles, um, that farm is now way more productive. I mean, so it, it's awesome. And, and to your point about like being able to sequester more carbon when grass is just, it grows up. I mean, cool season grass is the dominant grass species now in the upper Midwest and stuff way up here. There's a lot of cool season grasses. They grow really fast in May and June. And if you don't do anything with it, they'll grow up, they'll go to seed, they'll get mature and they'll die and then they'll lay flat and smother out future growth. So there's really no more 
growing green and growing plants the rest of the year. And those green and growing plants are what's photosynthesizing and capturing carbon. And so an animal comes through and kind of acts as like a pruning tool, sets it back and keeps it vegetative and keeps it growing and allows that plant to continue to photosynthesize throughout the whole summer. And you can, you can have a plant photosynthesizing from pretty much as soon as the ground thaws out. It's amazing how quick some of this grass starts greening up and growing until, you know, well into the fall. We're still photosynthesizing today out at our farm and stuff here, even though the, you know, the nights are cold and, and so, yeah, livestock are incredibly important to that process. Yeah. Appreciate you saying that, yeah. sharing that. If you knew where that study was, you should, I'd, I'd be curious to read it. <laughs> yeah, I need to find it. Um, there's an author that has a book out. I think it's called, oh gosh, what is it? Sustainable Dish? Sacred Cow. Sacred mm, Cow is yep. the name of the book. Sure. Um, have you read it? I've listened to part of the audio book, but I've not finished it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, n- not to put you on the spot. So I bought it no months ago. I still have not read it. I really need to read it because <laughs> I want to have her on the podcast. Um, yeah. But she really talks about it, how like livestock and ranching cows are literally the answer to help the food system, to help the planet. And it's yeah. not the main cause. And so I think that's mm-hmm. super, super important. And um, yeah, I mean, she had, yeah. there's a, there's a documentary out and I think I almost said Ron Swanson, but the guy that plays Ron Swanson in Parks and Recreation narrated it. Nick Offerman, he narrated it. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's why I want to watch it, just to hear his voice again. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, uh, I haven't, I think, yeah, there was supposed to be a documentary that went along with that book and I I have not seen it. So I'll have to look for that. I haven't, I don't know what it's on. I don't think it's on Amazon or Netflix or it's probably on one of those obscure documentary places or something. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. For sure. So, what's the future of the podcast? What's the future of Herd Quitter? I mean, obviously, you want to interview more ranchers out there to kind of see yeah. how they're quote unquote quitting the herd and doing something different. So, what's mm-hmm. the future? Yeah, I mean, kind of just like you say, carrying on. Hope to, hope to to keep interviewing more people. What I would like to do that I mean, challenge. I'm challenged in the amount of time that I have is is build a more engaged following, listening. You know, I, I'd like to get more engaged on social media. Start getting more listener questions, uh, stuff like that so that I can ask specifically, you know, if I have a guest lined up for two weeks from now, I'll put out, what do you want to hear from them? Kind of a thing or something like that. Mm-hmm. I've just been so limited in time that I haven't been able to really do that. I'm not sure if that's something you do or not, but I, I struggle with that, but that, that for sure, I want to get more of what my listeners want. I like to joke sometimes that this is my podcast. I'm asking the questions I want to learn, but it is important to me too for, for the listeners that we get, <laughs> get them, uh, the, and their questions answered as well. And hopefully just continue to grow it and, and have more people learn. Cause I mean, really what the, the goal of it was is to share what, I mean, these people I'm interviewing are finding extreme success in their businesses by doing some of these things. I mean, really big success. And the story of ranching across the country right now, there's a lot of pretty gloomy stories and stuff that people, people need some, mm-hmm. something to change. And I'm just hoping that this gets out there, gets in front of them. They can take a listen to some people and maybe learn something different and, and change, turn their story uh, around. And, and so that they're, they have a better life and future generations on their ranch might have a better life that, that maybe wouldn't have been possible if they didn't. So that's, that's the goal. We'll see where, where it goes. Well, so springboarding off of that a little bit, I mean, obviously, if somebody wants to learn more about ranching and how to diversify their operation, I mean, obviously, listen to the Herd Quitter podcast. Um, But what are some other resources out there that you might recommend? Um, Maybe somebody like somebody like Kit Farrow or somebody else? What are some resources you would advise people to check out? Yeah, so the the podcast 
Yeah, or Kit Farrell, uh, farrellcattle.com is a great resource. There's blogs and things out there that that Kit Farrell shares all the time. It's farrellcattle.com. He's got a, a newsletter that goes out once a week. And, and if you buy a bull, you get on his discussion group, which is an amazing resource mm. of thousands of people across the country who have bought bulls who are just constantly sharing ideas, asking questions, sharing ideas from a wealth of knowledge of ranchers all around the country. So that's, that's one. Um, as far as books and, and things like that, uh, two books come to my mind as my favorite books. And one of them is Dirt to Soil by Gabe Brown. Uh, Gabe Brown has an amazing story that uh, in North Dakota of going through four years of total failure, crop failure and things that forced him to look at things differently. And he had hail, hail, drought, hail or something like that. And just right after he bought a farm, total crop failures and stuff. And it forced him to do things differently. And he is now one of the biggest names in kind of regenerative ag and sustainability. And it talks more about those soil health principles that I addressed earlier. And then my favorite book now after reading it is The Turnaround, A Rancher's Story by Dave Pratt. That's like a business book that has so much great knowledge packed into a book that's just totally readable. I mean, I, I read through that loving it. It tells it in kind of a story format of a mm -hmm. ranch family who learned this and helping another family who's needing the help. And it, so it tells it in the format that's very readable, but it's great content and, uh, and a great book. So I would check out those books for sure. Um, podcast, the working cows podcast is a great one. Um, I love Clay Connery and what he's doing in his podcast. He's kind of one of the big reasons that got me to do a podcast in the first place. So I uh, would recommend that as well. Nice. I am going to add them on here. I am making some notes. Yeah. Those sound like really awesome. good books. I, I've heard of the mm -hmm. Working Cows podcast. I haven't listened to it, but I've heard a lot of really good mm -hmm. things about mm -hmm. it. Okay. Yeah, totally. Great one. Clay does a great job. Um and yeah, it was funny when I first learned what podcasts were, I remember it was at a wedding and somebody said, oh, you can do these podcasts. You should listen to podcasts. Like from that, <laughs> that day, I just like searched, I got a podcast app and I started searching cows, cattle, ranches, like trying to get as much yeah. cattle podcasts and working cows is one of the first ones I found been listening to it ever since. Just, just great, great podcast. That's awesome. I found that there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of great ag and farming podcasts out there, but mm -hmm. a lot of them are super focused on one particular topic, and that's phenomenal. I mean, yeah, like if yeah. you're a dairy rancher, or if you're a dairy farmer, or um, like a beef cattle rancher, like there are numerous podcasts out there specifically mm -hmm. for you. Um, yeah. So I think that's awesome. Which is, it's cool because I didn't know, like I didn't know how many listen. I have no idea how many listeners the Working Cows podcast get and stuff. But he's doing it still after a few years. So I was just like, you know, I don't know. I mean. If I get 10 listeners, is it worth it? I mean, is it 100 listeners? I don't know how many listeners I have to make it do worth it, but it's, <laughs> it's pretty actually cool how many people out there, you know, will listen to such a specific podcast, like you say, because they are very specific. I mean, <laughs> my audience is very limited. I'm not going to get someone from the city other than my aunt in Rochester. Shout out to Cindy. She still <laughs> listens to these. Uh, <laughs> appreciate that. But uh, yeah, uh, not many folks are going to listen to this who aren't involved in the industry. That's for sure. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and th th that's just the way it is. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of people that, I mean, they find a podcast, they hook onto it, and they just want to mm -hmm. listen to it over and over again, like, learn some yeah. stuff about ranching or about farming or about networking or whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. I feel like only few people can pull off the broad podcast ones like a Joe Rogan, but because they already right. have that, that exposure, really. And so they yeah. don't have to be super focused. I mean, they can cover basically mm -hmm. whatever they want, and they'll get millions of downloads. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, th that is That'd what it nice. is. Yeah, <laughs> that would be that would be. Uh, I mean, yeah, 
Jeez, that's crazy. I mean, it, it's been the weirdest thing. Like the past year, I think our downloads have been down just a little bit, mm. but word mm. of mouth and feedback from friends and family and random people on the internet has gone up. And so I'm like, this huh. is weird, but I like, I like it. Like, this is good. Like, yeah, yeah. Before we were getting like a decent number of downloads and we weren't getting like any feedback or anything. But now I'm like, sure. this is weird, unexpected, but great. So yeah, you never know what yeah. to expect on this digital podcast world right. journey for sure well i don't know where you were before <laughs> versus now in your skill but you're a very talented guest or interviewer so far so probably quality has gotten to the point where you're getting lots of good comments so <laughs> keep it up <laughs> well thank you i appreciate it yeah i in the beginning i would always like after a guest would say something i would always be like oh that's really cool that was like my word mm-hmm. filler and so now yeah. anytime i do an interview i have like notes pulled up and i have it highlighted do not say that's really cool and yep. so it's all I guess oh. adapting and learning to do the good things and not to do the bad yeah. things, but you definitely <laughs> learn through doing it. Yeah. And that's the beauty of editing is I edit out a lot of my filler words. <laughs> I edit out the guests as much as I can too, and, but I edit out my own. So I don't sound like I'm saying the same thing over and over again. Cause I'm same boat, same boat here. So <laughs> do you, do you find it painful to listen to yourself while you're editing? Because I, I can never listen to myself in the edit. I'm like, God, just, yeah. keep, just keep talking. Like it's, it's not I, painful, I, but it's just like, annoying i, I, I very <laughs> i would say the only reason it's not is because i'm listening like did i make myself sound stupid in this statement like that's what i'm listening <laughs> for <laughs> i try to try to do my best to pull that out so <laughs> hey there you go i mean every usually during an interview if i'm interviewing somebody that's not on podcast a lot i'm like hey the the podcast is made in the edit don't worry if you mess yeah. up i can edit it out i will probably mess up more than you um, but yeah. the yeah. worst edit though I had to do, I, it was like the first, one of the first 10 episodes, I think I had this farmer in South Florida, um, and he was starting a tractor mid sentence. And I, oh. I love sharing the story because he was starting it and I couldn't hear a word that he said. And I was like, dude, can you redo that please? And so yeah. I had to go back and edit it out because it was, it was hilarious. Or like Good not time. do field work while we're doing a podcast, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was so funny. I had, <laughs> I mean, funny. it's funny what you'll get. You'll hear dogs in the background sometimes, or you'll hear people in the yeah. background. You'll hear a fan or phones going off all the time. You just, you honestly yeah. never know what you're going to get. It's, it's pretty bad. Yeah. Have you had any, any happenings oh, like that? Just earlier today, I was at my wife and I were in the hospital actually the last couple of days for my, my son. And we were out late and I ran to my mom's house to do this podcast recording with somebody that I've been really excited to interview, but I've been putting out, trying to been struggled to get scheduled for months. And so I was like, I'm not missing this ran to my mom's house. And then in the middle of that, my stepdad came home and his dogs were barking and he walked in and like started tromping through the living room and started doing dishes. And I was like, you could hear it all on my end. Luckily I can edit out my style. So yeah. So yeah, 39 episodes or whatever. And I'm, I still can't, uh, still can't do one well yet, I guess, but I did get home <laughs> for this one. So you don't have to deal with those issues. Hey, there you go. Hey, it, it happens. It's all a struggle. All a struggle. That's right. I mean, I, I think though. that always just makes the episodes more unique. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Hopefully the listeners agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, as long as the listeners agree, that's good. If they don't, yes. then that, that no could doubt. be no bueno. Yeah. Well, Darren, yeah. this has been awesome, man. Chatting with you, learning about all that you do about the Herd Quitter podcast. Um, if yeah. people want to follow you, follow the podcast. Obviously, it's Herd Quitter. It's on um, Apple Podcasts. It's on Google. It's on Spotify and a bunch of other yes. podcast players. Yep. 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 It should be everywhere most people listen. So, yep. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Well, where where, yeah. where else can they go to kind of follow you guys and see what you guys are doing? 
Yeah, herdquitterpodcast.com or herdquitterpodcast on Facebook, Instagram, or or you can follow me, Jared Lumen, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, I kind of link through all those things as well. But yeah. Deal. All right. Well, Jared, I appreciate it, man. Good luck with the podcast. Oh, and also, I forgot to mention this. I absolutely love your logo. I think it's awesome. The bull, the very simple yeah. text, herd quitter with the microphone in it. It's it's a beautiful, simplistic logo, and I think there aren't nearly as many podcasts out there with a really good logo, and <laughs> yours is one of them. So I appreciate that. I like Thanks it. so much. I had a great, great person put that together and stuff. But thank you, thank you so much, Trevor. Really appreciate being on. Again, thank you for checking out this episode with Jared. I thought it was an awesome conversation, learning about ranchers from all over the U.S., how they're being profitable. Even some things about, you know, how they're diversifying their operations and um, how people like Gabe Brown are being more and more focused on the health of the soil. So if you want to learn more about Jared, be sure to check out the Herd Quitter podcast. It is just on um, Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast players. Or you can go to their cool little website, which is farocattle.com slash podcast. And that's pharo, P-H-A-R-O, cattle.com slash podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, or maybe you're new here, consider sharing with a friend or family member. That always helps us out a ton. So thanks again, and we'll see you next week. Okay, bye. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. Six, eight, Western. Oh, mule there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.